Hey everybody, I'm so glad to see you. Uh, all of you who are gathered here in the studio audience, we had so much fun the first time we decided to do it again. And this time we get to welcome our online congregation as well. We hope that you're doing well today and that, uh, that you're just blessed by everything that you've experienced so far and that God is gonna be with you for the rest of the day, however you choose to celebrate it. Um, this is the highest holiest day of the Christian calendar and we celebrate the event that changed everything everything in so many different ways. And so I thought we would start reading the story. Dan already read part of it. He did it from uh, the perspective of a man named Luke. We're going to choose a man named Mark. Uh, So if you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Mark chapter 16. Uh, We're going to be moving around a little bit, but uh, we're going to start with the story itself. And here it is. Mark chapter 16, beginning with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Which is a really good question. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, I love this next part. Don't be alarmed, he said. (laughs) You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, I gotta be honest. I love the fact that the first people to know about Jesus were women. Talk about girl power, right? My goodness, this is great. By definition, technically speaking, they were the first apostles. They were given a message to take to someone else. It's as if Jesus kind of sat back and said, hmm, patriarchy, yeah, not so much. Love it. I love the fact that that women were the first to know uh, about the resurrection. I want to highlight one particular verse. It's verse 7, and here it is again. The angel, or this messenger, this young man dressed in white, says, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Don't miss that little tiny detail right there. It's easy to gloss over because you remember Peter, right? Peter was probably the oldest of all of the disciples. And in in my mind, he is the perfect example of what uh, the old sportscaster Chris Berman would call stumbling, bumbling into the end zone. Because he did. He made a ton of mistakes. He, he was the guy that when Jesus asked the question, who do you say that I am? He answered, I say you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus blessed him for that. He said, blessed are you because this has been revealed to you. And then like a few verses later, um, Jesus tells him flat out, you're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. And Peter's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. Fast forward, trial of Jesus. Just before the sun comes up, Peter's hanging out with a group of people, and they're like, hey, aren't you the guy that hangs, hang out with, hangs out with Jesus, follows him around? 
and he actually curses. Or in Oklahoma, we call it, he started cussing, right? He says, I don't know him. I don't know this. And then the rooster crows. And you realize what he's done. That Peter. And Jesus, or God himself, wants Peter to understand something. He wants him to experience relief. And he wants him to experience love. And he says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Because you know what? Peter needs this. And I think that little phrase just gives us a glimpse into the heart of God, not just for Peter, not just for the disciples, but for all of us. I think that shows us who he is, who his character is. And I want to spend the balance of our time together talking about one more window into the heart of God. So we got this little one about Peter, but there's another one. And in order to do that, we have to start at the beginning of Mark's gospel. We have to start in chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. Um, But if not, I've got it on the screen for you. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Now, how many of you have you've read this before? You've seen this before, right? If you grew up in church, you've seen this. It's the baptism of Jesus, and there's this whole story that goes, goes with it. But I want to point out something here that I think is really important that's going to make a difference as we go along. He saw heaven being torn open. And the term here is schizo. The word that we uh, would be familiar with is schizophrenia, which is essentially a person's personality splitting or tearing apart in order to protect the psyche from some type of trauma. Tearing apart. Please understand, the word schizo is a violent word. It is not nice. It is not a pleasant term. It's incredibly violent. And here we see heaven being ripped open, torn open, shredded, Choose your, choose your word. But it's a violent action that we, we actually see. The only way that I can, I can really illustrate this kind of in modern language and in a way that makes sense is it reminds me of a football team tearing through a banner when they first go on the field, right? And there always seems to be one lumbering lineman who's way in the back because he doesn't run so fast and he's got to like tear the rest of it down. Have you ever seen that? They kind of burst through and then there's somebody who rips the whole thing down. That's what's going on here. It's heaven being torn open like that by some kind of violent force behind it. It's a powerful, powerful image. Heaven cracks, the spirit descends. And then what's amazing here is that the very next verse says that the spirit who just descended like a dove drives Jesus into the wilderness. Why? To take on Satan. 
And we get this idea that after 40 days and 40 nights of, of prayer and fasting and Jesus is mixing it up with the devil and it kind of this beleaguered sort of, no, you need to understand, you've got two words. Heaven was torn apart. The Spirit comes, drives Jesus into the wilderness, not as some type of uh, afterthought, but rather Jesus goes into the wilderness as an assault force. He is taking St. Nan in his own territory, on his own turf, and he defeats him. So we've got this beautiful picture of heaven cracking open, of the Spirit descending, and then Jesus goes on the attack. Don't miss that. Don't miss that these are some kind of stories that just float out there by themselves. No, 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 no. Mark is telling a story. He is trying to get us to understand that there is movement here. There is something that's going on. Now, I want you to keep all of this in mind because we need to fast forward to Mark chapter 15. And if you caught the Good Friday service a couple of days ago, we read this verse. I want to read this to you. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the Son of God. And again, this is a familiar passage, but we need a little bit of context, and you know how much I love context. We need to understand some of the the things that are happening kind of behind the scenes in order for all this to make sense. So it's rather important here. We need to talk about the temple. So this is a uh, replication of the temple. Uh, It's a scale model. I'm not sure where it is, but um, I've I've used this several times because I like it. Um, But the temple, you have to think of, uh, in, in terms of, this is the place where God dwelled. So it's almost more like a palace than it is a religious center. Although, certainly there were religious things that were going on. Don't get me wrong. But the way it was constructed is that it, was, uh, it had separations between it, different courts. We're going to talk about those in a moment. But it's really important to remember that this is the place where God would dwell. The Shekinah glory, the presence of God, would come down and fill the temple because it was his throne room. So we're going we're gonna to see what that looks like. So it's divided up, and it looks kind of like this. So in the very center, you have what's called the Holy of Holies. And this, of course, is the throne room of God. You have the Ten Commandments there. And the Ten Commandments is in the Ark of the Covenant. And I know you all saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, so you know what it supposedly looks like, right? But the thing to remember is that the way it was set up was almost like a throne. Because that's where God was. So think of it in terms of palace, holy of holies, kind of in the center, everything else is around that. Now, outside of that is the court of priests. So you had the Levites who would operate on a rotating basis. Certain families would come in and they would do um, their service for a period of time and it rotated throughout the year. So there was always some type of priest doing some type of ministry in the temple. And then outside that, you had the court of Jewish men. Outside of that, the court of Jewish women. And then you have the court for everybody else, court of the Gentiles. 
And of course, that was the court that, that really was the scene of, of, of Jesus being a little upset. You remember when he started turning over tables and calling them a den of thieves? Well, they were actually stealing space from the court of the Gentiles to conduct business. He says, this is a house of prayer. You, you can't do this. I don't care if they're Gentiles or not. Just because they're not Jewish doesn't mean that they don't deserve to have access in some way to the temple of God. So you have these courts that were divided and, and there were guards and everything so that you couldn't go snooping around and you couldn't go in places that you weren't supposed to go. And The key here, though, is the place between the Holy of Holies and the court of priests. There's this massive curtain. I don't know how tall it is, but it's probably 15, 20 feet tall. And there are some estimates that it could have been somewhat close to three inches thick. That's a lot of fabric. Would you agree? Three inches thick. It's amazing. <clears throat> so you have these divisions and between that center place and the court of priests is this curtain. Now, to get a good summary, I want to pick up what the, the genius writer of Hebrews wrote about this. And here it is. The priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room. That's the Holy of Holies. And that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. So picture this. You've got this uh, court of priests, and the priests are doing priest things, whatever that happens to be. But once a year, uh, and if I remember correctly, it was all decided by lot. They had to roll the dice, and somebody got picked to, to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. And they would actually put a bell on that priest and tie a rope around his waist because if he had an encounter with God, there's a very good chance he could die. And it's not like during a holy moment that he goes in that they could check on him. Hey, Jerry, you okay in there? It's not going to work. Can't do that. So as long as that bell was ringing, they knew that priest was moving. And if the bell stopped ringing, there was a good chance they were going to have to pull the body out with the rope. Does that make sense? That's how serious this was. That curtain separated the presence of God and the potential of dying in his presence from the rest of the world. Thick, massive curtain. So this is not a curtain you can buy at Target or Pottery Barn or your favorite fabric store. This is something that is just huge. And it's important to remember that um, because you'll notice with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was what? Torn. Schizo. Same word. Violently ripped apart from top to bottom. The only thing that I can, I can equate this to is like, uh, it used to be a thing where you'd have these really buff, strong guys take a phone book and rip it apart. It's kind of like that. That would be a great image for this. But it is violently torn from top to bottom. 
Okay, it wasn't somebody at the bottom who was like super strong and did it, mm-mm, top to the bottom. That was way up high. So clearly this is something divine in nature that's going on here. And so you have this barrier between humanity and God and it's broken. It's shredded. It's torn in two. And not just like you were tearing paper, doing origami. No, it's violently violently it's it's almost like that idea of the football team bursting out through that particular curtain here's what the writer of hebrews says jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves like the like the priest did but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood the blood of christ cleanses our consciences and acts uh, that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. It's a beautiful summary of what's happening here because Jesus is the one through his death, when he breathed his last, caused that thing to just rip right in two. Crack that space between humanity and God. The very thing that separated us from death, death is defeated. And just like when heaven cracked open and the Spirit of God descended, now the Spirit of God was released into all humanity. And of course, we know if, if you look in the book of Acts that you've got the disciples and they're in an upper room and they're praying and a wind, a violent wind, no less, begins to blow. And little tongues of flame settle on each of the disciples' heads and they begin to speak in another language and there's such a ruckus that people from all over the city who are there in the city from all over the world wonder what's going on and as they congregate, then those disciples spill out into the streets and they begin to proclaim the good news of God so that every person could hear in their own language. Now isn't it interesting that when something cracks open and the Spirit of God is released, (laughs) people go out. Jesus went out into the wilderness. The disciples went out into the streets. But the point is that they weren't just confined to one spot. Rather, when the Spirit is released, people go out. I think they almost can't help it. And and in the case of the disciples, they changed the world. You and I are here because that happened. Because somebody told you about Jesus. And somebody told them and somebody told them and somebody told them and somebody and we can go back 2,000 years we are all descendants of that moment in time when the veil was ripped in two and the spirit of God was released and came upon the disciples and they began to tell people and you get this multiplication effect and here we are 2,000 years later, change the world. When the Spirit descends, Jesus and the disciples go out and here we are. It's an amazing thing to think about. And I believe that all of this shows us the heart of God. It shows us the very nature of God himself, his character, his being, his identity. Heaven split and the Spirit came upon Jesus. The curtain split And the Spirit was released to all of humanity. Don't you see, if you can think of it 
It's bursting out through that football team kind of, of imagery. If you can see it, you've got to understand that God couldn't wait to be with you. He couldn't wait. Cracked heaven, cracked the veil. Why? So he could hang out with you and me and all of us. What separated humans from his holiness is torn. And like all that pent-up energy of all of heaven cracked the sky, tore the veil, ripped the banner just to connect with you. Seriously. Even before creation and time, God's Spirit was thinking of you. And not just you generally. Not just thinking about, you know, human beings in general. No, no, no. You. You. Those of you who are sitting here individually with all of your hopes and dreams, all of your fears and phobias, all of your hurts, habits, hang-ups, all of those things that you try to hide, he was thinking about you. Specifically. Designed. Loved. You. And he was dreaming. He was excited for you to be part of all that he was doing in this world. We don't just receive God for the sake of ourselves, but we are blessed in order to be a blessing because where the Spirit descends, the people go out. His heart was on you. And here's the good news because there has to be good news, right? Gotta be good news. His heart is still on you. Hasn't changed. And, and he doesn't stop thinking about you once you choose to follow Jesus. He continues to think about you. I made them for something. Here's what I'm doing. Come, join me. He's constantly asking us to go out. To go out. He wants to be connected daily. So in a moment... Um, we're going to do something together. Uh, we have an opportunity to connect with him again through a very simple ritual. So when he gave us, before he died, I keep thinking about this. He had bread and a, a cup of wine. And there were real common elements that were on the table. And that night, he took that bread and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. He passed it to his disciples and he basically said, take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And if I were one of those disciples, I, I know I wouldn't have understood. I didn't get it. What is he talking about? Every time I eat bread, I'm gonna have to, yeah. And then he did it again with a cup. And after he'd given thanks, he passed it to his disciples and he'd take and drink and every time you do, I want you to remember me. And they didn't understand in that moment what he was talking about. At some point, they did. And so God gave us this little simple ritual to help us to connect with him 
and to remind us that he did all of this to be with us. We just don't eat and drink because, you know, grandma told us to. No, there's something here. There's something truly powerful about communing with the God who wants to be with you. At Thrive, we have what's called an open table, and that means that if you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you, and we invite you to to take it and be a part of it with us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to do it, and and don't feel weird about it. It's cool. Nobody's going to look at you funny, I promise. And each time, each time he gave thanks, I, I believe he had you on his mind. Sure, the disciples who were there in the room, of course, and probably the other 72 were also gathered there, however many were in the room. Yeah, he was thinking about them, but I, I believe in my heart that Jesus was also thinking about all of the people who would follow them, which is you and me. And he wants us to remember him, and not just remember him, but remember him, remember why to be with you crack heaven open. I'm going to tear the veil just so I can be with you. To be with those who would follow. To be with you, specifically, by name. Go tell his disciples and insert your name here. Because we need it. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is on you wants what's best for you and wants to be with you. Not just the thought of you, but you. So we're going to sing here. Worship team's going to come and we're going to sing. When you feel like you're ready, take the elements. We're going to sing an upbeat song. We're going to raise a hallelujah because of what Jesus did for us. And I want you to take the elements with that kind of joy because he wanted to be with you. And we're going to lean into that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being here today with us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you endured all of the things that you did. Thank you, God, for the surprise of the resurrection because it was a shock. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would remind us that all of this was so that you and I and you and us could be together. Your spirit resides in us. When, when we gathered here this morning, we gathered in your name and by your word, we know that you are present here. And I'm thankful that you've been in the room. And I pray that you've enjoyed everything that you've seen today. But we celebrate the death and resurrection, the thing that changed everything, that allowed us not only to spend eternity with you, but also thing that keeps us from being alone today. Thank you for ripping apart heaven and ripping apart the veil so that we could do that. So as we sing, Lord, as we
choose to take the cup and the bread remind us deep in our souls just why you did it and how much you love us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.